You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. This will be our second to last of the uh, podcasts via the telephone. I want to thank everyone for dealing with it this week. I know everyone says the quality is pretty good, but I know it is not as good as when I am at home. On today's show, we're going to kind of go through some of the things that have occurred so far with the Indians. We're going to talk about opening day and exactly why is it that uh, that the situation, we're kind of seeing a brand new situation in terms of the uh, opening day and the rate at which tickets are still not sold. We're going to talk about the Christian Yelich contract and why. No, it changes nothing for Francisco Lindor. And we'll get into very specific reasons why. Let's start in opening day. So it's a week later. Opening day is still not sold out. Something used to sell out in 15 minutes. Uh, what was my joke online? Uh, what used to take 15 minutes now takes all day. Uh, I was hoping more people would get the reference from the I can't drive 55. Um, but uh, it, it, it doesn't change the fact that this used to be something that sold out immediately. And I'm seeing a lot of people complaining, it's 1 o'clock in March. I, I don't think that's an issue. This is a football town. Do people really care about the weather? Like, uh, even the other games have been like 4 o'clock games. If you're going to a 4 o'clock game, you're probably leaving work early anyways, let's be honest. I don't think 1 o'clock March 26th is that big of a deal. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people are squeamish about how the weather could turn out. But I just... I don't see it. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's really uh, how Cleveland is. I don't think the fans are really all that worried about weather. And I think when it's things like opening day that uh, fans have no problems uh, cutting off work a little bit early and going. Now, I did see some complaints about dynamic tickets. And I can see that being a point that someone's like, I can go the next week and pay significantly less money. Um and when it comes to dynamic prices, I don't blame the Indians. Like, it's not a great practice, don't get me wrong, but uh, everyone does it. You know, better games, it, it makes sense. Just the way, like, any venue charges more for a better, more popular concert, just like the Indians are going to charge more when the product that they are facing is more interesting, better, or more important. It's it's the same logic. Um, and again, this isn't ex- exactly something dastardly they're doing. It's something that we've seen um just about every team doing some form or another. I think the bigger concern is just honestly the fact that they can't sell out, that they are well on their way, I think. And and again, you know, there are going to be people who strongly disagree with this point of view who will bring up the ridiculously early date and bring up the 1 o'clock time and bring up weather concerns. I think this is a sign of a team that's going to be bottom two for, with it in attendance. You know, uh, Tampa seems to never support their team, so maybe... They will keep that spot in spite of a roster that, I mean, I went out and talked about on Twitter that uh, is going to be my AL World Series pick. But, uh, I mean, who else is going to compete? It is interesting because all of our complaining here in Cleveland about such things, um, you know, Oakland and Tampa, also very good teams who struggle to get people to come in the gates. The difference between Cleveland, Oakland, and Tampa is Cleveland's been better. And Cleveland has better facilities. Uh, in the other cases, they have pretty poor facilities. And uh, yeah, the A's and the Rays were better last year. But over the last few years, the Indians have been much better. The, you know, the Rays have had several 
relatively high draft picks in recent years. The last time the Indians picked in the top 10 was Clint Frazier. They have not been back since then. Basically, since Tito came to town, this has not been a team that's even sniffed a upper half of the first round pick. They have been in contention every year. And uh, yeah, so the Indians have the worst case of being able to explain away their bad attendance. But as we talked about on last week's show, um, if ownership cries poor because of attendance, that's really a disingenuous uh, argument. And it isn't so much attendance as it is a TV contract that is affecting their revenue compared to other sources. So let's talk about Christian Yelich. It was announced today that he signed a nine-year contract um, that goes kind of, well, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain it. It's going to be a nine-year contract with a mutual 10th year, and it pretty much rips up the previous three years on his contract. And I saw people being like, it's such a cheap contract. But the thing you have to understand more than anything else when it came to Yelich's contract situation is he's 28. He was already going to be under team control for the next three years. And here are the the prices on those years, 12 and a half, 14, and then a club option for 15. So he was going to be under team control for the next three years at under 15 million a year. Uh, Really a sweetheart deal that he signed with the Marlins. So now that contract is getting ripped up and he is getting this new contract that is, uh, you know, at the bare minimum, nine years, uh, $215 million. So it takes him from the next three years at being about $15 million and then hitting free agency in his early 30s to now he's going to be making a little under $21 million a year. So it's, it's a pretty significant jump. And that is why this got done. This does not mean that Francisco Lindor is going to take nine years, $215 million. This does not mean the Indians suddenly have greater hopes of keeping him. This was a guy who had who was locked up for three more years. Now, we talked about the Indians and Lindor and his situation where when he was three years out, he wasn't 28. When he was three years out, it was, you know, last year where he was just hitting his prime years. And that's kind of the difference here that uh, Lindor is going to hit free agency. His... Uh, I mean, and, and on top of that, when you get right down to it, uh, he's going to make more this year in arbitration than Yelich will ma- would have made in any of his three years. So you'd almost have to go back even further than this year to kind of find a situation to compare the Yelich and the Lindor stuff. The bottom line here is Lindor is making, what, 18, 19 million this year. He's making a large chunk of money. He does not need to give any of that up to get more down the line. He is very close to hitting free agency, and that was his plan. Uh, Yelich, it took him a while to turn into the player he is. You know, when the Marlins traded him, he was not the Christian Yelich he is now. He was a good player, but he was not a great player at that point in time. I mean, he was probably a great player. Let's change that. He was a great player, but he was not one of the top five hitters in the planet at that point in time, which he has now become. That's significantly changes his value and for the brewers who had him on a sweetheart deal you go back and you look at that trade <sighs> brinson and harrison and uh, uh isan diaz uh, diaz whose stock had declined brinson who i mean i was never a fan of harrison who had massive concerns and then was Yamamoto, who I do like, was the fourth piece, and he could end up being the best piece to the lot when it's before it's all said and done. We'll have to see, but uh, rough deal for the Marlins as we go back in time. But 
again for the Brewers, they had a player making nothing. And they used the fact that he was going to be making, um, you know, very little relative money for his skill level um, into his age 30 years. And, that you know, it's, it's that combination. Like I said, you couldn't even go back to last year where, yes, the Indians technically had three years of control of Lindor because at the same time, Lindor knew he was going to get like $18 million next year and like 25 26 next year. You almost have to go back to like Lindor's second year in the league to find a comparable time. And then you don't have the age comparableness. So this changes nothing. Uh, the whole reason this occurs is because of a bad contract. I know that's not what people want to hear. Already people asking me, but, but, doesn't this? No, sadly, it does not change anything for Francisco Lindor or the Cleveland Indians. Okay, so for the second half of the show today, so for the second half of the show, there were a few ways to kind of look at things. To talk about the Indians, um, I do have the all-time information, but that's kind of split up in a few spots, and I have it set up in my home computer area where I can quickly move between information and uh, made it not ideal for this. I could dive into spring training, which I've already kind of discussed my um, lack of desire and kind of borderline disgust to do. Uh, could talk about some of the storylines. Promise there aren't many. Like, what was, I was looking at Zach Meisel, Mandy Bell, you know, the people who cover Paul Hoynes, the Indians. It's like, who's going to be the utility guy? Freeman or Christian Arroyo? Like, we know it's going to be Freeman. He pretty much needs to lose a leg for... Uh, Tito to go away from the bat. I, that's we know this game. We know how it's going to play out. We know how it's going to work. Some stuff on young kids hitting home runs. Um, it's interesting, but again, it's spring. Uh, pitching progress, good stuff. But you know, as you can tell, none of this stuff really uh, got me motivated. I kind of looked at all of these and I go, I don't see anything here really all that fun to talk about. Now, if I'm wrong in this, um, certainly let me know. Uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter at Jeff MLB Draft. Uh, I'm always looking for things to do a mailbag with. I'm always looking for things that we can uh, discuss on the show, especially during these times where, you know, there's a little bit less to do. We don't have daily games. We don't have free agents at all left. I mean, we can sit here and talk about um, Yasiel Puig to wear blue in the face, but outside of him, uh, we've kind of hit the end of the free agent rope. So what do we look at? at this time of year, and I thought, why not talk about some baseball that matters, some baseball where we're getting some build-up, some, some stats, and some accumulation. The college baseball season is three weeks in. We have some interesting storylines, some interesting performances. I will admit this is a bit of a cheat. I was on a Kansas City Royals podcast just the other day, and we talked about college baseball um, in the draft because, you know, they have the fourth overall pick. And I realized that it's a really interesting class in terms of individual performance already. So I kind of wanted to, to talk about some of this. And when you are a fan of the Cleveland Indians, when you're a Cleveland fan in general, I think drafts are always interesting. It's born into our DNA. But when you're an Indians fan, this is how they're going to help accumulate talent. This is how they're going to try to stay on top. So I think it's important to kind of look at these things, keep some things in mind, and, you know, start preparing now for the, uh, the draft in June. So let's start talking this college baseball numbers, and let's let's look at the triple crown categories. We'll go old school. Um, we're just going to skip through some of the guys at the top. You know, someone there from Harvard, but he's played three games. St. Bonaventure at the top, but five games. 
So let's jump to our first three power conference guys. And you have Bailey Peterson, senior, Michigan State. We talked about Big Ten is the weakest of power five conferences. Senior, the minute you see that, you kind of go, huh. Uh, next, Ben Wagoner at uh, USC, played in nine games. Another senior, pitcher. Interesting. And then Brandon Belk, junior infielder from Missouri. Uh, tied with Belk is Nick Gonzalez. That's kind of our high draft pick guy in terms of of this early on. Um, Gonzalez's name is going to come up a lot, so just, just get ready for that. Um, the person I had been tracking just in terms of performance after a miserable year a year ago is Zach DeLucha, or DeLoca, I should say. Uh, outfielder from Texas A&M. Texas A&M, I mean, not surprisingly as loaded, but I've had a few guys kind of jump up this year and grab some attention, uh, making it so you have to pay a little more attention. But uh, he is someone I am watching. And again, if you really not a good sophomore year, strong um, cape. And me looking at what the Indians did a year ago, strong cape was a big part of what they uh, targeted in the draft. So if a player has strong cape, the Indians probably were paying attention. Home runs. And I talked about Nick Gonzalez, if you read my stuff a week ago, because he hit for the cycle and had a multi-home run uh, game in the same game. Then he followed it up on Saturday by hitting five home runs and a double header. He has 12 home runs in 13 games. Next closest guy has seven. Uh, I don't know what to say about Nick Gonzalez. We're looking for Power 5 Conference. Uh, Tucker Bradley, Georgia, junior uh, infielder. And Nate Rombach at Texas Tech. Fill out your your other three uh, ones. I I'm not gonna do RBIs. They're worthless. Sorry. But what I think is important is to go around and talk about base on balls because this is a an interesting just look. Uh, number one, Spencer Torgerson, twelve games, twenty four walks. Number two, Nick Gonzalez, thirteen games, eighteen walks. And then Torgerson's teammate Trevor Havra, Arizona State. 12 games, 17 walks. That Arizona State team, really interesting. Uh, Habra doesn't get talked about because Alika Wilson, Gage Workman are probably going to go somewhere around two or three. But uh, that's one of the better lineups in baseball. Uh, Ohio represent uh, Joy Weimer, a potential day two pick from Cincinnati, also making the list. It's uh, It's definitely the Nick Gonzalez show early on. If we're just going to look at something like hits... Or total bases, hits, Nick Gonzalez, number one. Uh, Bailey Peterson, and then your er, Ryan Bliss is actually number two, and uh, who's a infielder from Auburn, and we talked about Peterson before. And total bases, it's, it's a stat that I always look at. I think it kind of helps encapsulate a lot of things, just for a quick look at players who are performing. Like right now, I'm looking at the numbers, and I've seen Hunter Goodman pop up a few times, catcher in Memphis, and I'm kind of like, huh, I know he's only a sophomore, but I'm going to go look at him a bit more. I mean, it was this time a year ago where I started looking through things for my fun with numbers and looked, huh, there's a sophomore sophomore Nick Gonzalez, and I need to check him out, see what's, uh, who he is. Uh, you got Heston Kirch, no, okay, Heston Jurstad at Arkansas up in that list as well. Kind of your usual suspects, I think, in terms of what we expect. Maybe surprising, no Austin Martin talk, no Casey Martin. Uh, the Martins, not uh, not represented. But I think what we have seen is that the uh, college hitter class is hitter, batter. The college uh, non-pitchers are, are definitely a weaker group this year. Now, here's some fun ones for people in Ohio. Seth Lonsway at Ohio State, a draft-eligible sophomore. 
Uh, he's a sophomore because he was academically ineligible as a freshman, right? No, he's a sophomore because he's a sophomore. Last year was his... No, yes. I guess he redshirted during the academic ineligible year because this would be his third year. I don't know why I'm getting thrown off. He did pitch for Ohio State last year, so... After that, no matter the case, in 16 innings, 37 strikeouts is pretty impressive for him. Uh, Asa Lacey, another draft name. Logan Allen, not to be confused with the Indians, Logan Allen, a guy who's been on the radar for a while, also up there. Reed Detmers, tied with Asa Lacey. And Ohio State's an interesting team. Maybe we'll take some time here and just talk about Ohio State for a bit for, uh, you know, the Ohio fans. Seth Lonsway and uh, Dylan Dingler. I wanted to make sure I didn't mess it up. I keep wanting to say Dylan Dillinger. It's Dingler. Now, I was actually a really big fan of Dingler's back when he was at uh, North Canton. Like, uh, that Ohio State recruit class is the single greatest that they have ever had. Uh, there was Ruby, the outfielder, who hasn't played too much at this point. Xavier Moore, who got signed by the Rangers. He's already been traded twice. Lonsway was a huge pro. I mean, he was a top 100 guy on every board into that draft year. And the fact that Ohio State got him was a huge coup. They don't get anyone ever at that level. Uh, and we come back a few years. Like, right now, I think both those guys are uh, Lonsway and Dillinger are second-round material. Ohio State was the uh, the Ronnie Dawson class where he went in the second round where they had six guys go. And they really haven't seen anything quite like that since. Um, you know, I, I was a big fan of Dominic Canzoni. We'll see what happens. I think he ended up in Arizona. I feel like it was one of those teams I really like who took him late for a steal. But uh, Ohio State is kind of been holding down the second best baseball team in the state of Ohio uh, flag for it feels like the better part of a decade because it used to be Kent State. I mean, Kent State was a machine. The recruiting has not been as strong at Kent State of late, and you've even seen them weakening in terms of the uh, MAC, which was a conference that. Uh, they were just so much better than on a year-to-year basis that it was at points almost comical. Uh, now they're, you know, they have players, but they're not the same pipeline they once were. It's Wright State that has turned into the pipeline that is getting the the high-end talent and has kind of taken that mantle in terms of, like, best uh, draft production. And Ohio State stayed second the whole time, so uh, it's kind of our quick uh, Ohio State draft talk. Uh, in terms of ERA, uh, at this level, because I'm not going to do pitcher wins either. I'll do two parts of the, uh, the triple crown, uh, for, uh, how it is, uh, leaving off the ones that don't matter. And this is where we're getting to the problem. It's a lot of guys who haven't even given up a run yet. Um, players of note it, but you know, I want to pull one who isn't like a reliever, someone who's actually made like three starts, Matt Gilbertson, starter at Pittsburgh. Brian Van Bell, starter at Miami, which is interesting too. He's given up one. He's also high on the strikeout list. And being at Miami of Florida, you know he's getting a lot of eyes on him. Chris McManon is having a good start to his year as a potential first rounder. So uh, could be a preferred senior. Uh, certainly someone to, to make me go. I need to, to double check the tape, much like, you know, I talked about the, the Troy pitcher who I'm blanking on. Um, and that's going to bother me. Levi Thomas, maybe? I'm sure I would see him on here if I really looked deep enough. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, trying to see in terms of our top prospects. Mason Hickman at Vandy. 
Off to a phenomenal start. One earned run over his three starts. Probably the biggest name. Uh, Braden Olhoff at Tulane. Uh, someone else who's performing really well at the start of the year. And I, don't know, I, I think it's good. I think to know the names, know the numbers, and look for performances. Because if you want to know who the sleeper is in this class, who's going to be the guy who's going to go higher in June than we think now, it's it's one of these players. It's someone like... Brandon Olhoth, who has not had a ton of talk. I have had no one approach me to talk about him or email about him. It's not to say that he's, he's not a good player, that he's not an interesting player. But if someone continues a high, super high-end performance, it gets people talking. I'm trying to think of the Illinois outfielder from a few years ago, who's the very classic example, where there was the Purdue first baseman. I'm going to pause the podcast and go look. Those two guys that kind of set the world on fire and made themselves draftable prospects. So I remembered Adams, and for some reason I was thinking Purdue, but it's Iowa. Can I say similar colors? Jake Adams was a first baseman, uh, came out of nowhere to lead the Big Ten in home runs back in uh, 2017, six-round pick of the Astros. Not surprising they would take a high-production player. Uh, 22 home runs last year, split between high A, double A, old for the level, low batting average, doesn't uh, strikes out a decent amount. Still, I mean, decent performance for a guy in his second year. Someone to maybe keep an eye on. Uh, not bad for a guy who only ended up at Iowa. I remember writing the story because North Dakota baseball folded and Iowa would give him a partial scholarship. Bredon Spillane was the other player. Uh, hasn't been as strong for Spillane, if we're just being honest. It has been a struggle. Uh, he was all right his first two years before just uh, exploding at Illinois having one of the single greatest seasons a college baseball player had had in recent memory in terms of average power and everything in the Big Ten. Uh, spent all of last year in Dayton and struggled to be league average, even though he was 22. So sometimes it works, like Adams, even though he may not be setting the world on fire, he's performing other times. Like Spillane, it doesn't, but uh, that's why I like following the numbers. I like finding the stories that way, and that's just the way it, uh, I operate. Thank you all for listening on a uh, podcast that went kind of all over the place. I am myself very much looking forward to be back recording in uh, my usual setup with my screens and my info so these things can flow a little bit better. Thank you for sticking with me during what has been a, a odd time. This has been Jeff Ellis. You have all been awesome. And as always, go Tribe.